the FIA actually controls the grid and cars entering onto the grid. Technically, the FIA could grant a team the ability to race, but they just wouldn't get any prize money. Right, so we're live. Some are calling these emerging podcasts, but we don't like that. It's kind of dumb. This is simply a special episode because we are going to dive into the three massive news drops from this week in Formula One and NASCAR. You have Andretti Global with Cadillac that was denied their F1 entry by the FOM. Uh, they also were pretty incendiary about that. NASCAR teams have decided not to renew their charter agreement in a symbolic move of their displeasure with the current offers. Uh, and the biggest news probably from around the racing world, Lewis Hamilton will be joining Ferrari in 2025. Now, to help us break all this down in this special episode, we have none other, none other than America's top motorsport business journalist from the Sports Business Journal. That is Adam Stern. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here, man. Um, Landon and I have been texting about this stuff for the last couple of days. I think the whole racing world has. But let's start with the Andretti Global and Cadillac deal. Um, they were denied. Did they, was the timing odd? Did anyone expect this right now? I mean, you know, Formula One had to get it out at some point. Um, I think clearly they had been kind of hinting for a year now, both Formula One and Liberty Media, that they really didn't think they needed an 11th team. Now, obviously, as we'll maybe talk about later, the timing ended uh, ended up being pretty interesting with the Lewis Hamilton news coming out the, the next day. But I don't, you know, I think the timing was, you know, more about now in retrospect, maybe the Lewis Hamilton thing, because I think, you know, we knew that Formula One had to get this out at some point and it was going to be sometime soon. I don't know if there were some technicalities about exactly when they needed to get it out, but I think uh, it was more just about the content of what they said than the timing, um, you know, because, of course, they said, you know, they're not going to be able to get in 25, 26, but maybe they can get in 2028. 20, so they kind of did exactly what we expected, but to see them say it and then they said it in such emphatic fashion. You know, some of the things they said that, of course, this was a publicly released document were, were quite fascinating. Um, you know, of course, some people on the Andretti side or people who, uh, you know, are Andretti fans or supporters took offense to it uh, to a certain extent. You know, with F1 saying, you know, our research indicates that we would bring value to Andretti rather than the other way around. Uh, we don't believe they'd be competitive. We think that the fact that they think that they could create a car in 2025 and then create a new car in 2026 gives us reason to question, you know, if they have a full grasp of this, you know, how tough this is. So it's pretty uh, striking language, I felt like. So I think that was the most interesting thing to me. I think the decision was they had telegraphed it for some time. I mean, if you go back and look at CEO uh, Stefano Domenicali's comments or Liberty uh, CEO Greg Maffei's comments, anytime they spoke about this, they never suggested that they were really wanted an 11 team. They always downplayed it. So they had telegraphed this for quite some time. And so I think, you know, it wasn't that surprising that they said no, but still the way they said no was surprising. And then just interesting to see it nonetheless and how they've kind of now said, hey, no for now, but when GM is a full works team, probably yes. So hmm. I, before we dive into the the some of the other things that are related to it, I, I do want to point out, while I agree they have been – as you said, telegraphing this for a while. And in hindsight, it's obviously easy for us to now look back in time at the things that they've said over time and just say, wow, they've been telling us all along that this wasn't going to happen, right? Um, but this has been an ongoing 
deal for more than just a year. There have been highs and lows in the reporting and the rumors and and seeing you know Michael at F1 races and talking in the paddock and talking with people. There's been so many swings of the pendulum of optimism on whether this was going to happen or wasn't going to happen. So w- were there actually times in the last couple of years where it where there whether it was things that weren't reported or or grumblings that did legitimately show some potential for this to happen or was that all just you know over optimism for american f1 fans and people you know rooting for and ready to get this team well look i mean obviously i'm not familiar with every single conversation that took place but what i would say is you know obviously there's kind of been two parts here there's been the fia and f1 and when you look at the fia you know they technically own F1. They license the rights to Liberty Media, which ha- and um, you know they have a, a very long license. But you know Liberty Media is technically the license holder of F1, and, and, and FIA is the, the owner. And the FIA at times, of course, has really signaled that they you know thought the idea of an 11th team was good, maybe even 11th or 12th, I believe. Um, and they started that process to say, let's see if we could take advantage of all this global interest in Formula One. There's a lot of teams that want to come in. We think this is a good time to evaluate. So they started that process. I think there were seven teams that applied, and uh, they only selected um, Andretti as the one that they thought met all the requirements. So, of course, you know, things like that were times where it felt like this might actually happen. So I think you're right. There was peaks and valleys uh, through this process. And, of course, there's probably more peaks and valleys to come. This isn't over. But um, I think when you look, I was just uh, mainly referring to the comments directly from like the CEO of F1 and the CEO of Liberty Media, they at times, of course, you know, were respectful to Andretti and, um, you know, said we'll evaluate it, but they never said, hey, yeah, we totally agree. Uh, we definitely won an 11 team. That, that they never did. And so they were always very reserved in their comments and at times skeptical in their comments. But, um, yeah, th- it has been a fascinating process over this past uh, couple of years, ever since Mario Andretti sent that tweet. I think the weekend of the Daytona 500 a couple of years ago saying, oh, we're going to try and, you know, form this Formula One team. And again, it's not over yet. So, so we'll see what happens next. What, like, I'm just sitting here thinking about the amount of investment that Andretti has put into this already, right? In that we, we, we read recently that they have basically 120 employees between GM and themselves working on this, building a car. They just launched this wind tunnel model car. Um, so they've been sort of full speed ahead. I, I guess my, my point of bringing that up is like, what would you have to show to show that you're competitive? Because I don't think there's any, you know, if I think back, what, 10 years ago or a little further when we had those, that the expansion of the F1 grid and you had Marusha and Caterham and these T, you know, HRT that were just so unprepared, right? None of them even put that level of, of preparation in when they got on the grid, let alone what Andretti and GM have shown at this point with zero confirmation that they even have a ability to be there, right? So, like, I, I guess what has been, as, when you've talked to Andretti and them, you know, did they feel like this level of investment was what it was going to take and this was enough? Like, this was showing their seriousness and their level of resources that they were willing to put behind this to be ready for something like 2025, even with a new rule set in 2026. I think that absolutely Andretti believes and, and probably has very fair reason to believe that they have put in a proper effort. I think at the end of the day, F1 has simply signaled that they don't want a privateer 11 team. 
They only mm. want an 11 team that is a full works team with a manufacturer. And so I guess, you know, apparently, I don't know if maybe GM could move it up by a year or two. I don't, I'm not sure. But originally GM had registered as not being a full works team until 2028. And it appears that F1 is saying, hey, that is when you're good enough, Andretti. When you're with mm. them and they're a full works team, you will be good enough, but not until then. And so I think mm. that will be interesting to see, of course, maybe GM could, could GM try and move that up a year. I, I'm not sure. Of course, it's very complex to try and develop a fully produced F1 engine. Of course, you also have to keep an eye on whether uh, Andretti could still try and buy a team. Um, mm. That's one of the wild cards here. You talk about uh, crazy things that we didn't imagine, like Lewis Hamilton going to Ferrari. <laughs> we got to keep our eyes on, on, you know, something that's not being talked about right now, which is whether they could still try and buy a team. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it, they could certainly still try and wait till 2027, 2028 and uh, work with GM when they're they a full works team. If you look at uh, exactly what F1 said, they said either you're a full works team or at least you're a customer team, but everything you buy will be from a full works program with GM. So one or the other, that appears to be what F1 is saying that's the only way we believe you'd be good enough as an 11th team. And, of course, we also have to keep in mind some of the teams here have signaled they didn't want an 11th team. So that, that plays into it as well. Well, to me, it, the team signal they wouldn't want an 11th team is maybe in their own interests of not necessarily elevating of the sport, but the share of the pie that they would have to give up. Um, and obviously they're not giving it up for free. I mean, Andretti's buy-in is what is, is 200 supposed million, to but, sort of make up for that. But yeah. to me... You know, and I think I said this on this podcast almost a year ago that it didn't the, the numbers didn't make sense to me even at two hundred million dollars, right? Um, a twenty million dollars to Mercedes or Ferrari is nothing in the grand scheme of giving up a, a actual slice of um, real estate in in that space, right? In perpetuity, forever, right? So uh, that those numbers didn't really make sense to me but are, so it what you're kind of suggesting do you think that it had more to do with them being a full-fledged manufacturer team and less to do with the actual financials of the buy-in or is it just all of those obstacles together i mean i'm yeah, sure they all play some role but yeah it was all some it was all uh, together but what i will say is of course the 200 million dollar buy-in fee that was a the last uh concord agreement for f1 was agreed in the middle of the early stages of the pandemic, 2020. And at that time, as you guys remember, like people, mm-hmm. F1 team principals like Zach Brown were coming out and saying, a bunch of us might go bankrupt. It was a tough time in F1. They hadn't had the drive to survive effect yet. It was just starting right. and they didn't realize it yet because people were stuck at home and, and they were just starting. So they passed that Concord agreement. And at that time, because they were struggling, they said 200 million. And since then they had the drive to survive effect. The sport has skyrocketed in value. For example, we saw... Uh, Aston Martin sell a minority stake to uh, a major, you know, U.S.-based private equity investor, Arctos, and they value the team at $1.2 billion. So, yeah, it doesn't make sense, of course, to do the $200 million, but they could have figured that out. I think Andretti had signaled that they were open to figuring that out. You know, if, if, uh, they, if all the F1 teams has maybe come together and F1 and FIA and said, we're going to amend that to 600 or $800 million or whatever, I think – Andretti would have figured that out because they they have some deep backing with uh, you know the Gamebridge folks who have ties to to Guggenheim etc. And so I think they could have figured that out. I, I so that's why it still seems like it was mainly the OEM the OEM aspect. 
Mm-hmm. So, so one more that, question before oh, go I, ahead. I know Parker, whether we move on or, or Parker's going to jump in. What, what are we going to see next year? Are we going to see lawsuits? Are we going to see an open car on the grid? Um, like what? What you are we gonna see next? And by the way, hold on, hold on, hold on. Open the car on the grid. I want to dive into that for one second, yep. just to stop you. So, just to give some background to the listeners out there, there, there was some, a report back in November that essentially said the FIA actually controls the grid and cars entering onto the grid. Now, FOM controls the dispersion of the money and the marketing rights and that sort of the media rights income. So, the FIA and Mohammed Ben Salam, who's the president, said at the time, technically. The FIA could grant a team the ability to race, but they just wouldn't get any prize money. You could get points, that sort of thing. You could show up. You wouldn't get prize money, and the FOM would have no requirement to show you on TV to promote the team, that sort of thing. So, to Landon's point, is that a possibility? Do they just go full fire here and (laughs) throw the ultimate bomb and say, we're showing up because the FIA said yes? Or... You know, what, what's the move between them and the FOM, I guess? I think you guys are hitting on a really interesting point, which is that there's an emerging dynamic in open-wheel racing in F1 where F1 and FIA are really butting heads. They're really, you know, butting heads in a lot of ways, and this has been one of the major ways. Formula One didn't even want to do this process. They had signaled they didn't want an 11th team, and it was the FIA who really led them down this road. So um, that being said, you look at kind of reading between the tea leaves of the power dynamics – I'm not quite so sure that the FIA would really have the essential power to do that. Do they have the technical power to do it? Perhaps. I don't know exactly where that rubber meets the road in terms of like the exact law and the rule book, but essentially speaking, it doesn't seem like they have the power to do that. Um, You know, Formula One still controls such a huge part of the sport that it it would be absurd. It would make a mockery of the sport to do that. And so the FIA would not want to make a mockery of the sport. And there and, and, you know, there's even been talk about, you know, how long in this role is the president of the FIA going to be there because there's touch butting heads with, with F1. Who knows? We'll see. So um, as far as what comes next, again, you know, keep an eye on whether they could um, do something legally. I did see, I believe, the AP referenced whether there or, or, or some other outlet uh, referenced they're mulling their options there. So I thought that was fascinating to see that that reference, that they are mulling their legal options. Um, again, you know, the possibility of them buying a team, you know. Haas has signaled that they want to stay in F1, but what if you make Dean Haas an offer he can't refuse, mm-hmm. you know, or, or something like that? And so um, I would keep an eye on that. And then, of course, the third thing would be if they're just going to, you know, say we're going to keep working until 2028. Yeah, which is it's an op, it's an option, of course. One last thing on this before we'll move on. I thought it was really interesting, and you you pointed out the points of hey, look. You guys are not being granted now from the FOM. This is what they basically said. You're not being granted this opportunity now because you're not a full-fledged GM, power unit team, that sort of thing. That's not going to be ready until 2028. We'll allow you in then. Why do you think, and just any sort of insight, as to why they made this remark and felt it was important to put this in there where via their research, F1 would grow the brand of the Andretti's more than Andretti would grow the brand of F1. And I just felt like to me – and to the American race fan and to us who, you know, value the history of this sport and our legends and heroes and the names like Andretti who have built this sport and, and led the way in America, such an odd message when America is so important to this sport right now. I, I just – is there – do you have any insight as to why they felt compelled to do that or 
is and you know any reaction internally from the Andretti camp as to like you know how much that hurt to see that when it could have just been more simple as to say hey you guys aren't a full-fledged GM power unit team we'll accept that in 2028 or we, we can revisit this but until then you know it's not going to happen well as far as uh, the Andretti camp I mean you saw Mario Andretti say he was devastated so mm. I think that kind of says it all I think there's two different aspects of this, right? Like, there's the technical research, and then there's the PR part. If you do research, and that's what your research shows, then that's what your research shows. Like, if they did some sort of brand consulting research about who would bring more value here to each other, then that's what the research shows. I'd say the PR side is, did you really need to release that publicly? You know, to yeah. your point, they could have just said, hey, when you're a full work team, come on in. Until then, we don't think it works. So... Um, I, I think you're right. They did seem to rub, uh, you know, a lot of American fans the, the wrong way with, with this whole situation. And it, I'm sure some of the comments played into that, of course, a couple of days ago. So I think there's kind of the public relations aspect. And did they need to say that? And then, it's, you know, they said their research indicated that. So it's kind of if the research indicated that, OK, but did you need to say that publicly? That would be, I'd say, more of the debate in my in my mind. I, I hmm. think where it brings in the the question of it, and where everybody's bullshit meter is going off, or at <laughs> least mine, is that it's it's which which one is it, right? Is it is it com- competition related, and are you just is F one just so pure when it comes to your competition expectations that you're not going to let in another team unless they are a full fledged manufacturer effort, or is it PR related, right? Which one is it? Well, I think, uh, and I th- and I think that it's from from our pers- from my perspective, it's I don't want to say they're giving us mixed signals, but it's more like they're just giving us signals that can support whatever argument they want to make at whatever time, right? And that's where the the red flag and the radar goes off for me and maybe other American fans, where it's just like, yeah, I don't know, this doesn't feel right. It just feels like you don't yeah, want the goalpost moving. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Hmm. It, it seems like there's also been an undercurrent, as we mentioned, with the teams of hey, you know, you guys are just trying to get on a bandwagon now when we're hot. And you kind of didn't put in the work when, you know, we, again, in 2020, when we thought we might go under and all the years before when we weren't as popular. So Mm -hmm. it seems like that, you know, however you want to term that, it seems like that's been part of it as well. Um, And so therefore they're saying, hey, you know, because you're just trying to get in on the bandwagon now when we're popular, it's only going to work for us if you bring in a new manufacturer and, oh, by the way, it can't just be a new manufacturer. They have to have their own produced engine. So that's kind of been the goalpost move I think you're referring to. Like, at one point, it was like, hey, you got to go get an OEM. Then they got an OEM, and then they said, well, it's not. it can't just be an OEM. We don't want to do badging exercises. Like right. the Alfa Romeo, like uh, I think Infinity formerly was with Red Bull. And so that's kind of the goalpost moving. So I think that's a fair point. And I would love to get an interview right now with you know the CEO of F1 and ask him about that. But uh, they're not doing a lot of those right now. <laughs> Interesting. Hey, one last thing. I, I think this is never brought up, but Andretti obviously races in IndyCar. Liberty Media owns a piece of Shank's team in IndyCar. Is that right? Correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these are competitors. Or at least Jim Meyer does. I don't know if it's... Jim Meyer, I guess. I thought it was a connection somehow in there, but I always thought that was kind of interesting as well through this whole thing. that they. they oh, it is. You know? Like, they, they have... There's, it's more than just... They're F1. These, these groups have run into each other in other areas, basically. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, because, they ha- because Jim Meyer has that stake and Meyer Shank, I mean, Greg Maffei, the CEO of Liberty Media, is definitely deeply familiar with, with IndyCar and the Indy 500. And if memory serves, he took a shot at them and NBC and their production value a couple of years ago. Yep. So, um, mm. 
I really don't see, uh, you know, uh, Liberty buying uh, IndyCar anytime soon or anything like that. But, um, yeah, they're, they're definitely familiar with each other for sure. Definitely. Um, is there anything we're missing on the Andretti Cadillac stuff before we move on? I think that's it. All right. We, we, we all hold – we have just agreed that we have completely put that to bed. No new information out there <laughs> on that one. We'll see where it goes. I think as American race fans, we all hope it can be resolved. I, for one, and we've said this earlier, uh, love the idea of the Andretti Robin Hood style show up to the grid, <laughs> just go racing, sell some merch. Landon, what's the song that we playing as they overtake Ferrari and the yeah, FOM Freebird free yeah. try not to show them? <laughs> Which would be a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. Adam, the other big news this week, uh, switching to a different race series, is in NASCAR, where the charter negotiations have hit another step in that the teams did not renew their charter or uh, extend their charter negotiation period with NASCAR, which my question to you is, is this a symbolic move? Is Does this open up? negotiation tactics that we're not paying attention to what what was the reasoning behind this move uh between them and nascar as they try to get these charters extended into the new deal yeah great question parker the answer is it could be both it just depends so most people think a deal is still ultimately going to be reached at the end of the day um and if a deal between nascar and the teams is still ultimately reached then this will be looked back upon as symbolic the functional thing that happens as them of them kind of opting out of this window to keep negotiating, uh, technically speaking, is that they can go, you know, shop their rights to other series or, I guess, theoretically, you know, other people who want to start a new series, right? So mm. that brings up all sorts of crazy thoughts uh, as we see, you know, things happening in global sport like with Saudi Arabia, right? So, you know, that's where it depends. Um, it, it, this is likely to be looked back upon as, as symbolic, I would say, because at the end of the day, both sides, I feel like, still need each other. Uh, you know, NASCAR just got $7.7 billion worth of new media rights contracts. You know, they average, you know, 3 million people a race for, you know, the Cup Series. And you look at IndyCar, they're getting $20 million and they average $1 million. So, you know, it's it's not that simple, and that's why NASCAR did get that number. But the point is NASCAR as a commercial entity is a huge entity. The brand equity over 75 years that they've built up is very significant. So it wouldn't be very easy for the teams to just go leave. And as a result, the teams kind of need NASCAR. And, you know, the teams have also built up decades of brand equity. When you look at uh, Hendrick Motorsports, Wood Brothers Racing, Joe Gibbs Racing, etc. So it wouldn't be easy for NASCAR to go replace the team and, and, and roll that out to their fans and say, hey, watch these scabs instead of our, <laughs> you know, former legendary historic teams. So it feels like both sides don't need each other. Even when you look at golf, golf broke up and now they're about to come back together. Mm-hmm. And they, they quickly figured it out. And, of course, we know IndyCar eventually did it, but it took them quite a while. So it seems like both sides still need each other, and therefore this will probably be symbolic. But uh, technically speaking, this allows the teams to go shop their rights elsewhere. Hmm. That's an interesting point. I think that that's probably what we've missed in some of the headlines and Twitter posts that, um, you know, a some of the perception, if you if you really don't know what's going on, is that these headlines make people maybe think that a charter agreement wasn't reached and this is somehow the end of the earth. Uh, but really, like you said, it means that um, this is maybe more of an exclusivity period type thing. 
um, for, for the team owners. Um, I just think maybe I'm revisiting a conversation we've already had, or I've had on the show, but I I just still think that when it comes down to it, um, if there's no agreement reached, right, presumably the teams would, would have a plan moving forward if there's no agreement reached. But if there's no agreement reached, presumably NASCAR is basically saying, well, there's still going to be a Daytona 500, right? And we're just going back to the old system of here's our rule book, bring a car. And if you can qualify in, you can qualify in, right? So that, that this the race will still happen the structure the infrastructure for the race will still be there so then what's going to be missing are the teams and the drivers well if i'm nascar obviously you didn't reach an agreement with your team so the teams are wide open if i'm nascar i'm still going to go to those drivers and say hey chase elliott hendrick motorsports is going to breach your contract by not fielding a nascar cup series car for you right if his if his contract is anything like any contract i've ever had right? Hendrick Motorsports didn't just have an obligation to field a race car. They had an obligation to field a NASCAR race car, right? For Chase. So is, is that the end game here? Like in that scenario where is, is, is NASCAR going to ultimately have to go to the drivers and say, Hey, we can still offer you the ability to race. And is that the dagger? You know, I don't know. I just, it, that's all of that said brings me back to, I think they'll come up with some kind of agreement, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think they would. NASCAR would tell you they're still focused on the main thing, which is reaching an agreement with their teams. Have they done contingency planning? Yes. Uh, does some of the contingency planning include moving on from the charter system? Uh, it, it does. You know, I mean, Whoa. that would be one of the contingencies. There's no more charter system, and like you said, still running the Daytona 500. So yes, they have presumably done that. Um, but they're still focused on the main thing. As far as – you bring up another great point, though, about kind of the, the NASCAR team driver dynamic. That's something to keep an eye on because, you know, we saw some teams at the end of last year kind of bring up the notion of how they want, need to, uh, you know, build the value of the teams more because sometimes they're, you know, signing a driver and that driver might leave and then they're not, you know, getting the, the value from that. And, um, you know, at the same time, we're going to see this new system implemented next year with the driver incentive program which is going to be NASCAR paying the drivers up potentially somewhat supplemented by the teams to, uh, you know, promote the sport more. So we are kind of seeing that dynamic emerge about, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think NASCAR is trying to drive a wedge between the drivers and the team, but you know, it's going to be a delicate line. They're going to have to, and you know, line they're going to have to kind of balance there. So that is something to keep an eye on. And I guess, yeah, yep. you know, out of all the kind of uh, theoretical scenarios, you know, to your point, you've definitely read driver contracts more than I have. So um, I would I would think, you know, I guess it is possible that they could say, hey, we're going to yeah. go produce our own cars and do the Daytona 500 with you drivers. But, yeah, I, I don't think they want that to happen. So that's not what they're thinking of right now. But I would imagine they've thought through some of those scenarios. Yeah, I don't think I definitely don't think it's an intentional wedge necessarily. I think you said it better that um, more of a just a contingency on what would you do if. Right. And so. um it is there there's a lot of factors to it and obviously the drivers and nascar and the teams have been communicating on these kind of impact programs like what you talked about similar to pga tour has one other sports um you know the athletes have obligations not just to their teams but to the league itself um and the drivers for so many decades in nascar we've had those obligations by you know through our license agreement with nascar to, just to get a driver's a, racers license um but also 
the unspoken agreement that we have these obligations to NASCAR and they ask us to do things. We do them on behalf of our teams for the benefit of our sponsors, but we've never, you know, been compensated for those things as sort of part of the incentive structure of the whole economic model of the business. Right. And it's, it's, I guess it's moments like this that create those things. I'm, I'm curious here. You mentioned the contingency plans. Are we talking, you know, I guess they have to think this way, right? Being the massive entity that NASCAR is. We just let's fast forward. Daytona, we don't have a Daytona twenty twenty five. We don't have a charter agreement. Is this a top thirty five rule once again? Are we are we back to the uh pre charter era of uh points position locking teams in and, and that sort of thing, or fully open two round qualifying? What it, have you heard what those plans are? No, I, I haven't. And, you know, they're probably keeping those plans very, very, you know, closely held uh, yep. because, of course, you know, those are things that they don't they, they, of course, want to signal publicly to to the public that they are working towards a deal with their team. So they're not even, you know, commenting about this on the record right now. I mean, NASCAR is specifically and kind of intentionally not talking about this in the media any more than they need to. Of course, like um, at the uh, State of Sport press conference in Phoenix in November last year, of course, they addressed it then. Um, but yeah. in general, they're not talking a lot. So that's something that uh, I haven't been familiar with. But, um, yeah, I know for sure that they've drawn up contingency plans. Um, they, they have to. And you would assume that that would involve, uh, you know, a, a system uh, with, with no charters. But as far as yep. the specifics on how they would do qualifying, things like that, I, I honestly haven't heard. So I'm curious about this. Uh, the sticking points. So we've heard a lot about money and obviously there's some discussion about what the actual percentage is, depending on how you do the math that the teams are getting from the media rights and so on and so forth. And I, without going down a math road, and I think we've all talked about this ad nauseum, you know, they're trying to figure that out. They want 50, 50. It's a discussion whether to get there. What are the other sticking points? What are the things I've heard things like uh, a limit on the amount of cars you could have, right? Is it a four team, four-car team would be grandfathered in, but you actually could only have three in the future. There's the driver incentive program, which potentially the funding for that comes Budget from what cap. would have went... What's that? Budget cap. Yeah, well, the funding from that comes from the teams. There's the mm -hmm. budget cap thing. So so what are these other points that are holding this up and are the real contentious points between the teams and NASCAR? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit on a couple there. I mean, I think uh, I still have yet to hear what the resolution is on the permanent charters. I mean, that that mm. is kind of the number one thing besides money. But let's also not lose sight of money real quick. I mean, okay. um, you know, NASCAR got a 40% increase for their rights, and, and it was a, they did a great job, I think, given the circumstances. If they got a 100% increase, would this situation be easier right now? Probably. So I do think money is part of it, and um, that, is, that is what lead, is leading to the holdup. You know, it's, it, it's not only kind of the ancillary stuff. It, I think it is still the main thing. Having said that, I, you know, and, and we cited someone in our report who said a deal is likely is months away. It's because they're, they're still figuring out the main thing, and they're still figuring out some of these ancillary things that you just hit on as well. Um, hmm. The budget cap, I think, will be a big one. I, I'm not sure that all the teams really want that. I think there might even be a significant amount of teams that don't want that. But, but NASCAR, in return for giving teams more money, would like to see something like that, um, in part because they feel like that would help create a better team owner model. And so that teams can become profitable now. And, and, you know, 10 years from now, they're still not unprofitable and asking for even more money to just become profitable. So <laughs> they, they feel, they feel like that's an important part of this. So yep. 
think that will be something to, to keep an eye on. Um, the, so the permanent charters, but even, um, you know, just the whole, it, this is like a 70 page contract, at least the, the first charter system was. So, you know, the teams have gotten that and their lawyers have gone through and kind of reviewed, here's what's different and what NASCAR is proposing in the new charter system versus the old charter system. And I think there's even just differences with things like digital media. Um, I think NASCAR wants to work closer from a digital media perspective in 2025 on. And, and the best way to put it from a broad perspective is NASCAR from 2025 on wants to move closer and closer to operating like a league. So it's still an independent contractor model, but the way the league kind of operates in terms of its, the essence of it, they want people to be more and more kind of on the same page and doing the same mm-hmm. thing. So um, the, the, the way you would see in the NBA or the NFL, even with things like digital media. So I think even kind of uh, minute things like that to the average fan, uh, you know, in terms Teams of what websites. they might be attention to is something that they're still figuring out. Yeah. Yep. Can, can you make the argument for why a team would not want to see uh, a spending cap? Um, I think, you know, some of the bigger teams just might not want to be constrained by it. Some mm-hmm. of the bigger teams might say, like, you, you look at, for example, um, this year in Formula One with uh, Red Bull, or, or last year, excuse me, at this point, Red Bull Racing kicking everyone's butt. Uh, at one point, Toto Wolf said, in the old days, if we were getting our butts kicked, we could just go create a new car. We could yep. throw enough money at it where we could go create a new car in the middle of the season. We can't do that now. We have to wait mm-hmm. till the next season because of the budget cap. So kind of uh, transferring that to NASCAR, I would assume it's something along the same lines where some of the bigger teams might just say, like, we don't need it. We'll watch our own spending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, to Toto, uh, just a little uh, kick back on that. Uh, it didn't stop Ferrari from having dominant years. It didn't stop Mercedes from having dominant years over everyone else. And there was no budget cap. So I don't <laughs> think his point is really well made there at all. That is true. <laughs> Just because he's got the money now doesn't mean it was the case when there wasn't a budget cap. Are we missing anything on the charters or we move on? So let's get the last big topic of the week, the one that lit up Twitter and all of the internet over the last day or so. Lewis Hamilton announces that he is going to Ferrari in 2025. I think a lot of people surprised, right? He's been with Mercedes since he was a junior driver. They were, he was a part of their program into McLaren when they were there. And then he left McLaren to go to Mercedes at a time that they weren't looking like a championship contender. Wins many championships, huge amounts of race wins, sets all sorts of records. And now has announced instead of ending his career, most likely at Mercedes, he is going to Ferrari. Shock, Adam? I mean, I, from your point of view and from the people you talked to in Formula One, um, was this sort of – and the timing of it, was it odd, I guess, once again? I think it was the, the famous RCR quote, the timing could not be any worse. Um, was that odd for, that, for everyone involved, I guess, to have a whole year to, to talk about this? Yeah, I mean, I'd say, look, I think it was – I had been hearing rumblings that there were some big driver movements going on in Formula One. I did not imagine it was this big. Uh, so it was mm. kind of a failure of imagination on my part. Um, I did not, you know, see Lewis Hamilton. But, of course, you know, you go back and look. Of course, hindsight's always twenty twenty. We go back and look at a couple months ago. We had the situation with uh, Christian Horner and Red Bull saying that Lewis Hamilton's people had approached him, right? Mm. So you go back and look at some things like that, and, of course, hindsight's always twenty twenty. At the time, Lewis Hamilton had kind of denied that he was involved in trying to, you know, reach out to Red Bull Racing. And, um, you know, of course, over his career, I mean, Lewis Hamilton had made clear that he owns, you know, Ferrari road cars. He thinks the brand is fantastic. 
everyone knows that. It's the original kind of entrant in Formula One. So um, I think the timing, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I think, you know, for someone of his scale, like if he had only signed a one plus one and, and his right, you know, his deal was going to be up, uh, you know, after this year, after 2024, uh, and he had an option at that point, I think it made sense for him over this offseason to look into it. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those deals where the timing is interesting that it gets announced now, but something like that would never, you know, hold. That would always leak very quickly. So for people like that, they're going to want to get that out there as soon as possible. It, I guess it was already kind of starting to leak, although I'm not sure exactly, you know, what the genesis of that was. That might have only been because they were planning the announcement. But something like that would have never held till even the middle of the season, let alone the end. <laughs> you know, so I feel like um, they, they kind of had to announce it once it was done. Yeah, um, but too many I think, people knew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, just on, on you know, the way that sport works, similar to NASCAR, I mean, you know, traveling circus, people are going to find out and, and talk. Um, and so, but I think the move itself is a shock. I mean, you know, of course it makes sense in retrospect. Mercedes has been struggling. Um, you know, Ferrari just gives him a chance to go to uh, another globally renowned brand that, you know, huge in Italy, huge all over the world. Um, you know, I saw a report say that he essentially just wanted to try something new. And so it all kind of makes sense in retrospect, you know, the fact that uh, Mercedes was struggling so much. But yeah, I mean, I can't say I exactly saw this one coming. This one came as a little bit of shock to me. I had heard that there were some big driver moves coming because we know that at the end of 2024, almost every F1 driver's contract is up. And, you know, there's situations like, will Sergio Perez get replaced, right? So I figured there were some big things coming, but, man, this was this was bigger than I imagined. And you I, had – well, just real quick, you had Charles Leclerc announce he was coming back to Ferrari. You had Lando Norris announce his. So it started to sort of fizzle out that he was staying at McLaren and that sort of thing. Uh, but before we go much further, I just want to get this out there. I saw a report that Lewis is getting $100 million per year out of this deal. Can you deny or confirm that? And I believe that would make him by far the highest paid athlete in the world at this time or up there in that range or definitely the highest paid race car driver, of course. Yeah, no confirmation or denial on my own. But what I will say is the reporter who reported that uh, is an Italian reporter who was pretty much first on these rumors a couple nights ago after a couple hours after Will Buxton had uh, sent their Twitter into a tizzy when he said he heard there was some absolutely massive news coming. A couple hours later, uh, this reporter was saying possibly Hamilton to Ferrari. Uh, so he's, he appears to be well dialed in uh, with, with Ferrari. Hmm. So I, I think that it's one thing I'd like to point out in this is is absolutely came to a shock to all of us, right? The timing of it was a shock. To me, now in hindsight, if I take all the hindsight together and look at things, it's a shock to the public partially because we just had a Hamilton announcement, right, in August. And and there was there wasn't like you said with the Red Bull Christian Horner stuff. Um, Hamilton made some some uh, you know attractive comments about Ferrari over during that period. The Ferrari or the Mercedes agreement with Lewis kind of drug on a little bit, but I don't know if anybody was really that like hot on the case that Hamilton might be leaving Mercedes at the time. And then they finally made their agreement, and everybody sort of took a deep breath and just said, oh, "Okay, we knew that was going to happen anyways. He's going to finish his <laughs> career." But yeah, yeah, now I mean, that I look at this, who I think it shouldn't be a surprise to is Mercedes because they obviously they announced a two-year deal. It obviously must have been a one plus one, like you said, with an option, right? And now mm-hmm. before they even start, 
the first race on their two-year deal, Hamilton has announced that that he's leaving in the middle of that that contract and moving to Ferrari. I feel like this shouldn't this probably isn't a surprise to Total Wolf. And Mercedes may try to play victim here over the next month and and play this announcement and the timing and um and if they do, I'm not going to be impressed. Um, and Mercedes fans, I mean, the fan base maybe is another thing, but if Mercedes themselves kind of play victim and total plays victim, victim to this, I'm not really going to be impressed because I feel like if there's anybody that shouldn't, isn't surprised, it would be them. Yeah. And I, I, it looked like Toto talked to the media today and he said that they opted for a shorter term extension with Lewis. So I think you're exactly right. Um, he might've been initially shocked, but he had to know that this was a possibility because they had gone that shorter-term route. So it seemed yep. like from his initial comments today that they're going to more so take the high road. It doesn't seem like they said anything too much about, you know, this timing is, is horrible for us or, or anything like that. One other thing I will say is, um, uh, Parker, you pointed this out, Charles Leclerc was extended. When that happened, I did see an F1 reporter, uh, Joe Saywood, who's, who's pretty dialed in, say, uh, no one's talking about uh, why – um, Carlos Sainz has not also been. And at the time I, I, I read that and I was like, yeah, that's a good point. And uh, maybe they're hung up on negotiations. Again, failure of imagination on, on my part, because it turns out it was because uh, the, the chairman of Ferrari, John Elkanen, had gotten word that Lewis Hamilton was available and had frozen the talks with, with Sainz and was going to sign Lewis Hamilton. Wow. I, uh, I did love Toto's recount of how this went down between him and Lewis where they had coffee at his house. It, he made sure to point out it was in Oxford. Um, <laughs> and basically Lewis told him, hey, I'd signed with Ferrari, blah, blah. And he said the timing isn't great. But I think to your point, Landon, and, and yours as well, Adam, uh, they didn't give him a long-term deal. They didn't have a long-term deal. And if you like it, put a ring on it, right? I think mm-hmm. it's basically the, the situation here. So he left it open. Um, have a better car. Yeah, have a better car. <laughs> I think – and the last bit of I want to dive into here with Ferrari and – just why you would be incentivized to go to them aside loving Ferrari and that sort of thing. If you look over the last, what, two years, they have probably of the top teams made the biggest wholesale changes from the team principal side to Frederick Vassar coming in there. They've got numerous hires on the engineering side. It sounds like there was a report of uh, engineer from actually Mercedes just recently that some people are linking Lewis's move with that. But I think overall, if I'm looking at a team that is obviously trying to turn things around at, at, that's in those top three, for 2026, to me, it's Ferrari. And if I'm Lewis, I'm sitting there saying, hey, I've always wanted to go there. This is probably the end. Either I can continue what I'm doing here and still you know, maybe potentially suck, which would not be fun, or I could go do something different, have a huge upside, and if he goes and wins an eighth world championship with Ferrari and he is the one to give Ferrari another championship for the first time in forever, what I mean, that's off. not worth hundreds of millions. That's worth billions. That's generational money <laughs> that is going to be created in merchandise and you know, enthusiasm around this. So what a, I, I just think there's a no-lose for Ferrari. There's a no-lose for Lewis. This is one of those things that just is meant to happen in the current environment and the situation of which the team and Lewis find themselves in. And I think that's the thing that we had lost out on in recent years. The extent to which Lewis Hamilton came to felt like it doesn't matter if I leave Mercedes. If I stay at Mercedes, I'm not going to win. If I leave, I might not win, but we'll see what happens. And you, I'll have a chance to bring back Ferrari, like you said, another yep. gigantic global brand. 
in certain ways kind of even a sexier brand. They sell less cars. They're more of a supercar brand. Of course, um, you know, AMG is a supercar, but, you know, Mercedes-Benz is more known as just kind of an upscale car that uh, people all over the world have. You know, uh, Ferrari is a little bit maybe more of an aspirational brand, so it's a little different. Um, and, mm-hmm. of course, has a gigantic global uh, fan base, uh, you know, the original, you know, uh, OEM in F1. So, of course, he has La Ferraris and Ferraris. He's always talked about the brand being attractive. I believe I saw uh, apparently Total Wolf even said a couple years ago that you just assume that every driver wants to drive for Ferrari one day. Oh, yeah. Even <laughs> Total Wolf said that himself. So There's a um, mystique. It's a yes. mystique around Ferrano. I've been there. I felt it. I mean, that place, it's I spiritual. Think, so I, think I, Parker, I get it. I, I don't I don't mean to soften this up from a competition standpoint, but, I mean, win or lose, it's on track. Win or lose on track, I think this is incredible for Lewis's brand and, and you know, however he chooses to ride in, out into the sunset uh, with or without a championship at Ferrari, I think it'll be a success for both of them. Parker, I kind of have one more question, and this is actually yeah. maybe for you, um, but also okay. I, I do want to hear Adam's thought on, thoughts on this. So with all this said, this is all really exciting, but it's still 2025, right? What is a lame duck year for Lewis Hamilton <laughs> at Mercedes in Formula One look like? Because I don't think we've really had anything like this to this magnitude ever that I can think of. The only, you know, the only guy who's found him, and Adam, I think you can attest to this, that found himself in similar positions would be Fernando Alonso. <laughs> we've seen have an unbelievable ability to, believe, to go to the teams at the wrong time and to cause awkward timing in, within <laughs> there. I think it's not dissimilar to what we've seen in NASCAR, right? You start the year, it's still business as usual. As you get halfway through the year, they start trimming the information that goes to Lewis, and by the end of the year, you're not in meetings, you're not invited to this, the factory. Hey, bud, this is you know we're going to finish this out. Thank you so much for your time, but we've all got to now focus on the future. And I think that's a pretty typical affair, right? If there is any sort of... I guess, decay of the relationship. Obviously, things can get testy, but I don't see either side not completing all the races together. That would just be sort of a a really odd move considering all they've done together, and I think they still, you know, I think Lewis's respect for Toto shows he went and had coffee with him in Oxford, of course, so Mm -hmm. at his house. Uh, He didn't ask him to come to him. So I think it's pretty typical. Adam, I don't know if you have any insight as to what that would look like any differently than what I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean... You know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but um, obviously, you know, sometimes you always hear people talk about, oh, if there's a lame duck, they're not going to get the good car, right? So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see what happens there, but also keep your eye on the musical chairs, right? Like if Carlos Sainz is able to set up his next deal, does he leave early? And does that let, you know, Lewis leave Mercedes early? And uh, sometime in 2024, he starts his Ferrari partnership early. Um, another thing I would just say briefly is that this is huge for Formula One. Uh, just when this product was growing stale, and obviously we did have the Andretti thing, which is which is still fair to talk about 100% about how that's probably turned off some Americans. But overall for Formula One, when you talk about everywhere on earth, this is huge for Formula One because their product was starting to become a little bit stale, and this is going to really shake things up. I have more people that texted me in the last 24 hours about this Lewis Hamilton thing than texted me when I've gotten rides for my own career. <laughs> and they're supposed to be my friends. So you know what? I can tell you it's that big for sure. Um, guys, this has been fun. We should do this more often, Adam. We love having you on. This is good stuff. Uh, I don't know if I have anything else left in this special episode. I guess we'll just see where Carlos Sainz goes. There's still some musical chairs there in F1. We'll see where the charter stuff goes. 
Is there anything on your mind, Adam, as we look ahead in the next couple of weeks um, that we should be paying attention to, or we should all just go enjoy the clash this weekend? Well, I think we've been on the big stuff, uh, but I would say with signs, of course, you know, he's being rumored for six months to possibly go to Audi in 2026. Mm. Um, so for right now, they're the stake Formula One team. So that that's a possibility. Um, I, I think we hit on a lot of the big stuff. It'll be really interesting to see what the clash this week and whether they can can get it in. I just saw um, the Athletic right before I got on had reported that um, unlikely to return next year. Something they reported that I've also been hearing is that Mexico City is a possibility for next year. So I'll leave it at that. Awesome. I love it. And Visa, Ca- Visa Cash App RB out there for somebody. Maybe maybe Andretti can buy that one so we can get rid of that That's awful another name. thing to keep an eye on real quick. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, a lot of um, it's interesting to see some of the like uh, websites that come before Formula One, including F1.com itself. Uh, uh, the news entities like BBC, a lot of them aren't saying Visa Cash App RB. They're just saying RB team. So uh, that's another thing to keep an eye on. Mm, that's a kind of drama I didn't think about. Maybe they're not. They don't want to just give not buying uh, Yeah, promotion. Exactly. So, exactly. Interesting. Boys, this has been a good time. Thank you, everyone, to listening and watching on YouTube. Please like and subscribe for more stuff like this from the Money Lab. Uh, we're gonna go watch the clash. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Money Lap. As always, check out themoneylap.com for the best five minutes in motorsports or sometimes just the coolest stuff in motorsports. Delivered directly to your inbox three times a week. Check us out on YouTube. We're growing fast over there. And, of course, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. We're all over the Internet. We're spreading the word of how cool motorsports is. Check us out.